Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Road to 2024 podcast. I am Robbie. As Sam and I are adjusting to our first year of college, we've decided to introduce a new format for the Road to 2024 podcast. We will be conducting interviews with political figures and leaders on campus to gain their perspective on the upcoming 2024 presidential election. In addition, we will be recording monthly recaps of the news surrounding the 2024 race at the end of each month. So be sure to look for that on the feed. We'll be releasing our next one at the end of this current month of October. So let's get into today's episode. Today's episode features my interview with GOP political consultant Jeff Larson. Mr. Larson is a U- University of Chicago Institute of Politics Pritzker Fellow and was nice enough to sit down with me during his office hours for an interview on all things elections. So before we get into it, I'll give you guys some background on Mr. Larson. Uh, Jeff Larson is currently the CEO of the Roosevelt Group, a political and public affairs company. So back in 1999, uh, with two other partners, Larson founded FLS Connect, and his partners collaboratively built it into a premier $30 million multifaceted political business. 2002, he was a senior advisor to Norm Coleman's Senate election campaign and his re-election effort in 2008, as well as that 2009 recount against Al Franken in Minnesota. In 2011, Mr. Larson was appointed chief of staff of the Republican National Committee. In 2013, he was asked by leadership of the National Republican Senatorial Committee to head the independent expenditure arm of the NRSC. And Republicans have not held a majority in the Senate since 2007 at that point and needed six seats to retake the majority that year. So uh, Mr. Larson was able to successfully help the Republicans take that uh, majority back of the U.S. Senate in the 2014 midterm elections. In 2015, one year later, Larson was named the CEO of the 2016 Republican National Convention. He controlled all aspects of designing, organizing, and implementing the convention in Cleveland, Ohio. And he served as senior advisor later to the 2017 presidential inaugural committee, of course, the inauguration of Donald J. Trump. And so let's get into my interview with Mr. Larson. Okay, so we are currently on the third floor of the University of Chicago Institute of Politics building across from Pritzker fellow Jeff Larson. So, Mr. Larson, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Good. Happy happy Wednesday. Yes, yes. Happy Wednesday. Beautiful day out. Yeah. Uh, hopefully the weather lasts a little longer here. It's nice weather. Uh, so you've already heard about your extensive experience in the world of politics. So I have to start with how'd you first get involved in politics? What is your drive? How'd you get into this? You know, I think, you know, I got involved as a driver for a political campaign, you know, kind of right when I was still in college and, um, and drove around the state of North Dakota for, uh, for all, you know, for a summer. And, um, and, um, and I really enjoyed, I enjoyed the process. I enjoyed, you know, meeting the people and, and, um, understanding, you know, the political campaign and, and getting more involved in it. So, you know, my candidate lost. Um, I became a driver for the opponent, um, the other Republican opponent, and um, and then soon became the finance director. So I just kept moving up in politics and, and different different jobs and capacities. And so I really enjoyed it. And, uh, and I just like the process and, and you know, the, the, the develop, issue development that, um, that comes with it. Yeah, as you find, like, on the campaign, there was a lot of flexibility. Everyone's kind of trying to figure out figure it out as opposed to, is what I've heard about government work is that it's more structured and, you know, it's harder to kind of reach those next step levels. No, I find that, you know, that in politics, you can rise up pretty quickly. Um, and, and, you know, 
take on real leadership roles in in, um, in different aspects of what you're doing. Um, but then there becomes a ceiling, and you got to bust through the ceiling at some point because then you just get stuck in the in just no fun getting stuck somewhere. And um, so then you either you know find something else and, and get out, or you just you know, figure out how to bust through the ceiling. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So our podcast is aimed at uh, young people, as it is hosted by two of them. I'm 18 years old, first time voter this year. Uh, so what would you be your advice specifically to young people, I would say, who are voting for the first time and are trying to get involved in politics in their community? Like, what's the first steps they can really take out? Well, I think first is to under, you know, try to get a better understanding of the issues that are going on in, in your area that you're that you're interested in, and then I think it is finding candidates, you know, finding people who who are running for office that you might might want to get behind it, that agree with the issues agenda that you have, that um, that want to do the same kinds of things that you might want to do, and get involved in their campaigns, regardless of how big or small they are. It, hmm. You know, just get a start. You know, just get you know get a, you know get on a you know, city council race. You know, get on you know get in, involved in. And some other races that you know that are around that um, you know even student government's a good you know good place to get to get started and so I think you want to just get started uh, become a volunteer um, and and um, and just try to work your way up and, and uh, the, the the key is to continue to meet people you know find find interesting people that, that yeah. can get you know connect connect you with the next the next opportunity and uh, just network and just continue to uh, to network as much as you can with um, with different groups and different people you know that have the same interests as you. Do. Yeah, I think that's good advice. I think it's, you know, networking is, is really key, especially in the world of politics. Yes. Like, I feel like that's where you find most people, most people's opportunities. Oh, I knew this person, you know. Uh, yeah. So I want to move on to the 2024 election. Our podcast is centered around the presidential election and you've uh, extensive experience in presidential politics. So just have to ask generally, what are your take on the candidates? Do you think anybody has a shot to beat Trump in the Republican primary? Yes, I do. I mean, I, I think that the, the, we're early in the process. You know, clearly the polls, you know, show that you know Trump has a very commanding lead right now. But that's that's what's happened. That's happened somewhat in the past, and people have surprised, been surprised in, in places like Iowa and New Hampshire. I mean, those are the two earliest states on the Republican side, and so they are. Um, you know, if if you want, and then then what happens is you get you just drive some momentum. I mean, if you can win or get take second place, you know, a strong second place showing or even a third place showing in the, in those states. You know, you'll um, you'll you'll gain some momentum. You'll start to raise more money. People will want to jump on your on your bandwagon. Right now, nobody knows you know who that second place person is. I mean, they're, they're fighting between DeSantis and Haley and Scott and all these other candidates. And so you know, you're um, you know, and, and so I think Iowa and New Hampshire will be real tests. If if Trump you know does exceedingly well in those two states, then I think he's going to you know I, I think it's he'd be very hard to beat. Um, and, and that's. Uh, no, that's that's what's gonna that's gonna be the issue. Yeah. So, is there is there like a number you're looking at for a second place candidates? I know you were discussing that uh, Ron DeSantis is trying to like really lower expectations so he exceeds them. That's a good strategy for a lot of candidates. But you know, is is like within 15 points of Trump? Is is that gonna like yeah, get that, some momentum? I think that I think that you know kind of does it. Yeah, it gets get within 15, and um, you know, and it'll depend on how many candidates are still in. You know, yeah. I'm I'm hoping that by you know by um, Iowa, you know we have fewer candidates in, and in New Hampshire, you know it winnows down to three or four candidates. And if we can winnow down to three or four candidates, you know in New Hampshire, then I think you know that uh, that we have a real shot. And what do you think is is a strategy for that candidate going against Trump? Because it seems like the strategy is not to completely denounce him because he is you know supported by the majority of the Republican Party, but I think it's to offer like a different. A younger generation and a different take on on his politics, 
but what, what are you looking for for a Republican candidate trying to contrast himself with Trump without upsetting everyone? Yeah, I mean, and um, and I think people, you know, people are saying that they're supporting Trump, but I think it's, you know, I, I think it's just right now because they don't know who an, who an alternative mm-hmm. is. And so what you're seeing right now in these states like Iowa, New Hampshire, is that people are really just doing retail politics. They're going out and, and talking to voters. I mean, you know, they will they will go to people's homes. They will they will go to you know um, small events and um, and they will network and um, and really you know do retail politics uh, the way it's never done in, in place like in bigger bigger states. You know, even South Carolina is you know is a media driven state. It's just too hard to do that. But but because Iowa, New Hampshire, you know, are set and um, and they they are early. You're, you're seeing um, you're seeing more candidates there. You're seeing them spending more time there. Ron DeSantis has been spending a lot more time in um, in Iowa um, than in New Hampshire. Uh, he says he's going to change that this fall; that he's going to be in, in New Hampshire more often. But but I think he's been I think he's really done a lot of work in in the Iowa. He's been to all ninety seven counties, I think. And, yeah. um, and so you know he's really spending the time there. Nikki Haley's spending much more of her time in New Hampshire, and um, and Chris Christie's spending all of his time, I think, in New Hampshire. <laughs> um, and so you know you're seeing them take you know more take on New Hampshire. I mean, New Hampshire. Um, the filing period opened up today, so today's the first day you can file for the primary. Um, Interesting. And so usually, you know, there's um, you know, in the, in the past there's been like you know twenty five, thirty candidates who file for both Republican and Democrat uh, primary in, in New Hampshire. So it costs you a thousand dollars and sign a form. So. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that with New Hampshire because I, I know with the New Hampshire primary, it's not a closed primary; it's open. You know, you could have. That's why I think Christie ha- thinks he has a shot there because yeah. he has independents and and Democrats who can even cross over and try to vote for him. Uh, do you think that's like a dynamic that's you know really going to make a big effect? Yeah, I think it can. I mean, I, I think that you know in the past, I mean, I think there's been about forty percent of the electorate you know on the, you know has been in, has been independents who vote in the Republican primary, and so you know that's a big number. Yeah. And, um, and so I think he is counting on on that to happen. And um, and, and you know, I think all the candidates are looking are looking at that, and you know, and, and I'm not sure Biden's even going to be on the ballot, you know. And so, what are the Democrats going to do? And I think you know, I've, I've heard talk of them trying to run a you know write-in campaign, you know, for Biden because he's not going to be on the ballot. Because, uh, and so you know, it's going to be an, it's going to be an interesting process on on that side. Yeah, it's of course with the uh, you know the conflict between the DNC and the New Hampshire, you know. Uh, first in primary, first in nation primary, and that's why you know Biden is is going to have a tough time getting on the ballot, just because you know Biden supported South Carolina right. moving uh, to be the first in the nation state. Uh, so you know, as we look move slowly towards the general election, it is very early, but it is looking likely that you know the Republican Party are going to enter, are going to nominate a candidate who you know has been indicted four times, is under you know basically is going from proceeding to court every every other day it seems uh so how do you think the republicans can win in 2024 if trump is the nominee what issues do you think they can run on like what as a you know strategist what do you think they should focus on i think you're you're kind of already seeing what what i think you know you know trump or anybody else i think will focus on and that is the southern border you know i think will be you know will be a big issue um, you know, you've got new issues now with Ukraine, and you know, and, and the and new issue with Israel. Um, you know, I think that you know that those will be issues, and then I think it's going to be crime and justice, and and those those are I think are going to be you know the economy, you know, will certainly be on top of everybody's mind, and, and people will focus on that. But um, but you know, it's it's um, it, I think it's going to be those other issues that you know that you know really drive things. So 
I want to kind of go on in the nuance of campaign finance. That's something that's that's interests me, and I feel like doesn't get enough coverage. Uh, so, can you just run, run run us down, like you know, the basics of campaign finance? How much can someone donate? How do like PACs, for example, like Ron DeSantis's Never Back Down work? Like, what's the structure of those? Just a general take. Yeah. So, um, there's really three different types of, of money. There's you know, there's a Camp contributions directly to campaigns, you know, to to candidates, um, and I think on the federal side, I mean, I can't remember exactly what the number is, but it's like three thousand dollars per election per person, and so um, you can donate three thousand dollars for the primary and three thousand dollars for the general, and uh, and then you're kind of tapped out on that particular candidate, and uh, but then you can give money to you know these candidates have super PACs, and super PACs are just um, you know they're they're a, a filing with the um, you know, with the IRS, you know, and um, and they're in the, or they're filed with the FEC, and they're just you can raise unlimited money into into a super PAC, and um, and so you can um, and donors are all disclosed, and um, and and they you know they, I think that I think that they're really getting close to a line of overstepping, you know, on on never back down and overstepping the the federal election laws in terms of what what a PAC can do versus what a candidate can do, so I think they're getting very close to a line there, but. Um, but they they can go out and support their candidates. It's independent, so they're not they're not talking to the campaign. They're not talking to the campaign about what they're going to do, or or you know, hearing from the campaign what they're going to do. They're independent of each other, and um, and so they don't coordinate. Um, and they but they can run ads, and you're seeing millions of dollars being spent, you know, on, on ads. They can um, they can help you know get out the vote and do those types of things, but they just they can never coordinate with the campaign. And um, and say here's you know we're going to do these kinds of steps, and you got to do those kinds of steps. And then the third group is really kind of more like C four dollars, um, and those are that's unlimited money also that can flow into it, an IRS created C four organization, and um, and those donors are not disclosed, but they could also you can't directly do you know you can't you can't specifically say that you're going to go out and support this candidate with the dollars that those people give you. You you have to uh, you know you can spend about up to forty percent on political activity, but it can't be directed political activity. It can't be. Hey, I'm going to write you a check. I don't want my name disclosed, I don't, but I want you to help DeSantis. And so, you know, those those kinds of dollars, um, you know, go into into a C four, but um, but are much more restrictive. Interesting. And what do you think the dynamic is when, when you're looking at these self funded campaigns like Doug Burgum, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy's put a lot of money into his campaign. Like, is is there is there an advantage for those candidates because they don't necessarily have to go out? fundraising they can kind of focus talking to voters and they already have that money or are there disadvantages as well well there's certainly you know there's advantages to it because you don't have to have there's no cost of fundraising yeah you're just stroking a check for 10 million dollars and um and so there's no cost to that and and otherwise you know you might you know to raise 10 million dollars you might have to spend three you know three four million dollars just to raise that money if you're doing if you're trying to do it online or in small dollar type increments um and so, you know, and then you, you see them, you know, using some of their own money to go out and get small dollars because you have to have so many small dollars in order to qualify for the debates. And so you're seeing them spending some of their own money just going out and getting small dollar donors. And small dollar donors, I mean, you give money to a candidate, you're going to go support, you know. And so, you know, it, it really starts to build your, your network of support out there. The more small dollar donors you have, the, you know, the better you better off you are. And that's what Trump's, Trump's been spectacular at that, of, of attracting, you know, small dollar donors to his campaign. And um, and they give over and over again. So you know, it, it's a it's an advantage, you know, to go out and, and build your own network. But it's you know, it's nice to also have your own money. So yeah, uh, we discussed a bit in previous episodes that 
uh, about some gimmicks that these candidates have been using, or you can call them gimmicks of trying to get on the, this debate stage. Uh, you know, Doug Burgum, uh, Governor Burgum basically said if you would donate $1 to his campaign, he, he gives you a $20 car, uh, you know, yeah, gift card. Yeah, and it, it worked. He did yep. give them that. I, I actually did it myself. Uh, so I thought that was, that was interesting. And now I get emails from them. So, you know, I, they keep uh, getting their word out. It, is this a viable strategy at all? Like, do you think there's something to it? Or is yeah, it- so again, if you, if you have to go get 25,000 donors, you know, it's going to probably cost you, I mean, it, it'll cost you $3 million to go get that, you know, just like, it's like operating costs, operating yeah. costs, just cost of, you know, either mail or digital or whatever. It's going to cost you probably $3 million to do that. For him to get $25,000 doing it that way, it costs him about $800,000. And so, interesting. Yeah. You know, it's, um, you know, kind of him, the system. Yeah. For him, you know, it was a business decision. Yeah. You know? um, I'm going to spend my money doing this. And, um, and I think, you know, there, again, there's people who think that's not, it wasn't really legal or not. I'm not sure it's illegal, but it's just like, it had never been done before. And so it was, it was very innovative. And, and uh, but you'll see people copy that in the future. Yeah. I, I was certainly interested to find out about that. Uh, last question before, because uh, we're out of time, but you've been involved in multiple conventions. You've ran uh, Republican conventions. Uh, why, why do you think conventions are so important? I know we have one in Chicago and down the road in Milwaukee here. I think it's going to bring, you know, a lot of, a lot of people to the cities, right. but you know, what, what would you say is the most important part about conventions? Well, the most important part is is that it's a place where the party does their business. You know, they, they have, there's a business portion to this, or where they adopt the platform, they adopt the rules, you know, and, and they, they adopt other party you know party activities. But over and above, over and above that, it is a it is an opportunity for a candidate for four days to lay out their message. You know, lay out their vision of what America is going to look like. Lay out their vision about you know what what their platform is going to be, how how they're going to govern, and what they're going to do. And um, and people tune into it, and, um, and and they'll have millions of people watching, you know, for an hour every night as the as, you know in prime time as the candidates, uh, you know, get up and and um, and have their surrogates, you know, talk to the American people about about the platform and and uh, and about you know messaging that, that they want to have. And so it's four days of uninterrupted time that they get that they you know don't get any other time. It's, it's the only time that they get it. So. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I would definitely. <laughs> If you're listening to this, thinking about uh, you live in the Chicago or Milwaukee area, I, w- I would certainly recommend to volunteer, get involved, because I'm very excited for my, personally to get involved, because I think that they're really, really cool events and uh, a lot of opportunities to have there. It's a lot of opportunities. Yeah. So thank you for joining the Rich 2024 podcast. We greatly appreciate it. And uh, if you're a Chicago student, I would recommend to come to uh, Mr. Larson's uh, seminars every Thursday, right? Thursday at twelve thirty. Twelve thirty. So, uh, all about politics in twenty twenty four. Yeah, very cool. All right, all right, cool. Thank you.